I'm Henry Standage, and you're listening to the Western Science Speaks podcast. There are trillions upon trillions of parasites inhabiting Earth. This makes their evolution a lot more rapid than the species, such as humans, that are trying to defend against them. But how have parasites been able to spread so vastly? And what methods are they using? Beth McDougall Shackleton from the Department of Biological and Geographical Sciences joins the Western Science Speaks podcast to explain how parasitism became the most popular lifestyle choice on Earth. Can you explain to us in your own words what a parasite is and what you're specifically looking at? Sure. So a parasite is simply uh, an organism, a living thing that lives either on something else or inside something else. So a parasite lives on or in its host. It takes uh, resources or food from its host. And in doing that, the parasite increases its own fitness, but it uh, decreases the fitness, the health or survivorship of the host. Right. So it's born into this world needing to find something to kind of attach onto. That's right. That's Parasites can't, can't survive and they can't reproduce unless they get access to the host. The, the specific parasites that I'm most interested in are a group of uh, blood-borne parasites called avian malaria. What these are are little single-celled organisms that affect different species of birds all around the world. And uh, you look specifically at how these parasites affect the evolution of its host. And so what, how do you measure that? What things do you look at? Yeah, so parasites have many, many different effects on, on their hosts. In, in the short term, many parasites can affect the, the behavior of the host. Everyone's probably familiar with the idea of the, the, the zombie fungus that uh, an ant will will become infected with and then it'll take over the ant's brain and uh, use that ant to spread itself into in, into more and more and more uh, host organisms. Yeah. yeah, there's some really nasty ones. So, so parasites have all kinds of tricks. We call them adaptations in biology, but they're simply ways in which they can get from the body of one host individual into, into another. So that could be, you know, examples of that would be like rabies virus, sort of uh, taking over the behavior of the dog uh, that's, that, that's infected with the virus, making the dog produce more saliva, making the dog behave more aggressively. All of these things are going to improve the ability of the rabies virus to jump into another individual. So parasites can affect the behavior of their host over the short term. They also, as I mentioned, affect the, the survivorship of their host, so it's it's bad to be parasitized. It makes you less likely to survive, less able to reproduce, and because of that, parasites are a really important part of, of their host's environment. So over the long term, over many generations, over long periods of evolutionary time, host populations have evolved a lot of different ways of defending against or, or curing parasitic infection. This is why we have a, a very, very fancy and complicated immune system. And uh, th- there's all sorts of behavioral tricks that, that hosts use to get rid of parasites. I was about to ask about that because it kind of seems like this never ending competition where the parasites, I assume, are evolving on their own too and becoming more intricate in how they manage to spread itself. And exactly. We're developing our own systems. Uh, and so what kind of evolutionary processes do you study? Yeah, well, so, so you've alluded to one, that, that arms race between the parasite on the one hand and the host. 
uh, selection is always going to favor parasites that become better and better at infecting their host. But at the same time, selection is always going to favor hosts that become better and better at defending against parasites. Now, in that particular arms race, that's one that we as, as host organisms are almost always going to lose because the generation time of the parasite is just so much faster than ours. And the population size of the parasite is, is so high. They can have such high rates of mutation. Um, so the, the parasites really have a huge advantage in these, th these evolutionary arms races. And some animals, it looks like parasites are going to be an inevitable part of their life. So you look at songbirds, and birds obviously attract a ton of parasites. Why is parasite infection so common with birds? Yeah, so I mean, we're very aware of, of the devastating effects that parasites have had on birds. You know, there's famous examples of the, uh, the, the, the native bird life in Hawaii, of course, in the 1820s was, was really devastated and in many cases wiped out when mosquitoes and the parasites that they carry came over. So birds are something that people care a lot about. And so we notice the, the parasites that affect birds. Uh, but b birds aren't you know, particularly unique in, in being uh, hard hit by, by parasites. Uh, the, re the real reason why, why so many creatures are affected by parasites is simply that there are many more species of parasite than there are of non-parasites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, some people uh, say that there's probably about 10 times as many parasitic species as non-parasitic. So we're, we're just so vastly, vastly outnumbered by, by parasites that it's perhaps not surprising that parasites have had huge uh, evolutionary effects on practically evular, every multicellular thing there is. Mm, maybe birds just get a bad rep because they carry it so far. Exactly, yeah. In uh, one of your papers, you say that exposure to parasites is one of the costs of group living. Could you just expand on that for me? Yeah, sure. So when when an individual is just living by themselves, then they, they probably have a, a low rate of uh, picking up parasites just from the environment. The second you start um, coming into, uh, you know, arm's, arm's length of another individual of the same species, um, or, or large groups of, of individuals, then there becomes um, a huge increase in uh, the risk of uh, acquiring their, their parasites. I mean, this is a very timely issue now with all the students coming back to live in the dorms and, and the lecture halls and a lot of, a lot of viruses and diseases. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they love these uh, tight, close, close quarters and close contact. Yeah. Have some breeds or species evolved to kind of live on their own to get away from this group manifestation of the parasites? Great question. There's, there's no birds that are completely solitary for their whole life cycle. And, and, and the reason for that is simply that, you know, birds, birds have two sexes, like humans have two sexes. If they want to produce baby birds, they have to interact with another individual at least, at least once in their lives. But there are a lot of uh, bird species, including song sparrows, the birds that I work on, that are very, very territorial. They will, you know, for, for, for part of the year, they will allow their, their mate to live in the, same, in the same general area that they're in, and they'll interact with, with their, their offspring, their babies, while, while they need to take care of them. But beyond that, they'll keep other individuals out, and perhaps some of that is uh, a, a defense against uh, infectious disease. Mm, it's a sad defense. <laughs> I suppose it is. But there are other birds that are very, very sociable, and they presumably have, have other ways of, of dealing 
with the, the risks of, of becoming sick. These, these birds that are social tend to be very, very good at detecting signs of disease in, in their group members. And so they they may you know exclude uh, the the sick the sick individual from from the huddle at least until they get better. Uh, uh, so I want to shift more to your work with the songbirds. So what are you looking at in the lab? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, a, a lot of my work involves uh, interactions between be, between these migratory songbirds and avian malaria. And so some things we've done have included looking at birds that are infected with malaria and comparing their migration success, their migration speed, the timing of their migration relative to individuals that, that, that are not infected. These, these kinds of issues are sort of important when we're trying to forecast how, how rapidly different diseases will, will spread. If, if birds that become infected can't migrate, then that's sad for the individual, but at least we don't have to worry about the disease spreading from mm. one part of the world to the other. But other work we do in the lab has more to do with, with sexual selection and mate choice. So some of my students are very interested in, in birdsong, for example, you know, why female birds like males that can sing 10 song types, and so why, why is singing three song types not enough? What, what extra information is in those additional fancy songs that a male sings? Why should a female care? I saw that you did some work on reading the complexity of these songs. Some, some birds can, can sing uh, more, more song types than, than others, and so we say the birds with what we can think of as big vocabularies, they have like uh, more, more complex song. The intellectuals. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it does come down to sort of their, their early environment. So if, if a bird, if, if you give a bird all the food that it wants, in, in its early years and you prevent it from uh, becoming sick, then it will be able to learn a lot more songs. Right. Um, so for the longest time, you know, pe people have always been interested in how birds kind of convey to other birds, to, to these potential mates who, as you point out, are sort of taking a risk by, by, by mating with them. How, how do you point out to a potential mate, look, I'm healthy and I'm awesome. For, for a long time, we've been really focusing on, on song figuring that uh, birds that can sing a lot um, and, and many different songs are probably the healthiest birds out there. That's true, but what we are also realizing now uh, from, from work in my lab done by one of my PhD students is that birds also change the way they smell when they become infected. So birds that, if we experimentally so expose birds to malaria, yeah, exactly, smell is the tell. So, it's, uh, so, so they're paying attention not just to how it, one another sounds, but but also to, to their odor, and perhaps using that to, uh, to to avoid sick individuals. Of all the threats outside of our control, infectious disease is the number one menace to humanity's survival and evolutionary fitness. Understanding more about the transmission of parasitical diseases and the early symptoms of them will lead to an Earth flourishing with healthy entities. I'm Henry Standage signing out. Thanks for listening.